you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Well, g'day, Melbourne West, Pastor Luke here. And today's passage, or this week's passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is quite an interesting one and a pretty divisive one, in fact. Uh, There's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, The general theology of men and women that Paul is presenting here can be quite confronting for people and causes considerable angst. Uh, And then there's this specific application of head coverings in worship uh, that's something that's been hotly debated over the years, over the centuries. Uh, I actually grew up in a church where women were expected to wear head coverings in worship. In fact, there was actually space outside in the foyer where there were spare head coverings for, for visitors who could use them. Now, that's kind of unusual nowadays. Most churches wouldn't say that, 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 that that's necessary, uh, but some still do. In fact, some of the people that I most respect, the people who are the most godly people I know, some of them have chosen and shared with me that they've chosen uh, to wear head coverings in worship. And this might be surprising to us. You might never have even considered that this is something important. But these are people who have uh, really searched out God's will in the scriptures and believe they have a conviction that this is what they need to do. So what do we do with this? Uh, I mean, both sides of this debate uh, are probably approaching this the right way. People are going to the Bible, seeking God's word and seeking to understand it and how to apply it and how to live that out. They're they're both trying to, to work out what God is saying and then to obey what God is saying. And yet they disagree on where God is leading them. Of course, this can happen even when Christians diligently seek out God's wisdom in his word, they can end up with different understandings of what God is saying to them. Uh, We see a different passage in different ways because of our our vision is shaped by our culture, our background, our spiritual journeys, our experiences, good or bad, our our blind spots, the things that we want to see and don't want to see, or just how we got out of bed in the morning. All of these things color and shape our understanding and and the way that we approach and apply a passage. So what do we do when we come to different conclusions? I mean, you could have two very godly, wise, well-informed Christians read the same passage and come up with different interpretations, different convictions. So how do we live with this? How do we live alongside each other? That's what I want to talk about today. Uh, I'm not actually going to address the specific issue of head coverings or in 1 Corinthians 11. I'm actually going to jump outside of 1 Corinthians to one of my other favorite letters, the book of Paul's Paul's letter to the Ephesians, because I want to think more broadly, how do we think in categories of, of how do we live as God's people together when we have different convictions to each other? So let's have a look at Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 6. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, This is a passage clearly about unity. 
about how Christians can maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is our calling, says Paul, and we should walk in a manner worthy of that. Uh, He knows the danger of disunity, that public fights within the household of God can alienate people looking in through the windows. He also recognizes that the devil is trying to destroy God's people and the church, and so he's going to try and sidetrack and subvert things and get people to uh, divert their energies from the primary cause to the secondary and work to obscure God's truth by highlighting human weakness. And so Paul urges his readers to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called, to remember who they are as a family of God and then live that out. And Paul, I want to suggest, uh, gives three suggestions for how we can do this. The first thing is hold your convictions humbly. Verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility. Whatever our convictions are, theological convictions are, uh, we need to do them, hum- hold them humbly. Humbly towards God, seeking his truth, and then humbly towards each other. Uh, one theologian, a number of theologians are quoted as saying this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. That's what he's saying about theology. In the essential stuff, have unity. In the non-essential stuff, you've got liberty. And in everything, have charity. Be humble towards each other. And so it's in this spirit that we approach each other when we disagree. We assume the very best of people. We assume that their motives are right. So if they've got a different conviction to us, we assume that they must have a good reason for it, that is drawn from scriptures and that's shaped by their own experience. We love God's word, so we want to understand uh, what they see in it. And so we actually invite them to show us, uh, to show me how you get that. I'd love to know. In fact, I, I humbly expect that you probably know better than me. So, so show me. So we're eager and willing to learn. We, we expect to learn. We're willing to be corrected. So that's the first thing, holding our convictions humbly. Secondly, we want to express our convictions lovingly. Uh, Uh, We want to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's what Paul says here. Uh, I want you to consider, uh, how many times have you been won to someone's position uh, just by force? How how many times has someone argued you into their position? Probably never. (laughs) So why do we do it? Why do we get so upset when, when people don't agree with us? And then why do we try to bully them into our wisdom. It just doesn't work. But walking in humility towards God and each other means that we take an entirely different approach. We seek to help. We speak in a way that is serving. We speak in love. We don't jam our ideas down someone's throat. We don't judge them or dismiss their ideas. We don't scorn. We don't mock. We don't take a position of moral or intellectual superiority. We explain our position carefully and gently, and we're eager to bless them because they're our brothers. They're our sisters. We understand what Paul says about the body growing properly only as each part grows. And so we're living out our convictions, wanting everyone to grow and to develop. And so we actually seek to honour their convictions. Uh, We've seen 
that that's the way Paul often thinks through things. Uh, back in chapter 8, when he talked about food sacrificed to idols, there's this big debate. Is it okay to eat this? Is it not okay? And Paul says, look, there's nothing wrong with it. Verse 1 in chapter 8, he says, we're no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. It's, it's okay. There's freedom here. But he's also very clear that if his freedom causes someone to stumble, he won't do it. Uh, he tells his readers in chapter 8, verse 9, Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, here's the big idea, verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. I've got freedom, but I won't exercise it in a way that makes someone else struggle. I'll honour their convictions. I'll hold uh, my own convictions so humbly, so lovingly, that I'll, I'll be very careful and charitable towards them. I'll give up something so that they can be okay, they can feel comfortable. Uh, so that's how Paul approaches things. He holds something, it's his conviction, but he knows if this is a secondary issue, he'll hold it gently, not wanting to offend the brother and break unity or cause someone to sin. So we hold our convictions humbly, seeking God's truth, and willing to learn from each other, and we express our convictions gently, wanting to build up, not break down. Finally, I think we need to focus on what unifies. It's interesting how Paul ends this little section. He recognises that his readers are a community full of different people holding different convictions. That's okay, he says, because as long as you hold your convictions humbly and express them gently and seek peace, it's all fine. It'll work out okay. And so he actually ends up this little section focusing not on how they differ, but on how they agree. He urges them to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and then he reminds them who they are. We are, says Paul, one body and one Spirit, called to the one hope by the one Lord, sharing the one faith and experiencing the baptism and worshipping the one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We have differences, but we have so much where we are the same. And the stuff that we share is more important and more powerful than anything that should divide us. I remember hearing this lovely story about a Christian guy who was visiting Romania during the Cold War. Uh, Romania, of course, was a communist country and, and this bloke, I think, was smuggling Bibles into it because Christianity was illegal at that time. Anyway, he's walking through a town one day and on the other side of the street, he hears a bloke whistling a tune. And as he's listening, he realizes that the tune is something familiar. It's the tune of a Christian hymn. And so he starts, goes over the other side of the road, I think, and he starts walking up behind this bloke and starts whistling the same tune. And then the, the first guy turns around with this big grin and they realize that they're both Christians and they celebrate this, that the Romanian guy couldn't speak English, but they knew that they were one, that there was something that they had together. They discovered a brother, a sister in Christ. And so there in the streets of this town, they, they just kind of embrace each other and celebrate what they have in common, what unites them. And that's really what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, if they'd stayed and they'd 
found a way to communicate to each other and talked more about theology, they probably would have found something that divided them. That's likely, right? But in that first moment, they realized that the thing that was most important was the thing that united them, that they were united in Christ. That's the thing that's really important. And so it must be with us. Sometimes as Christians, we can almost be like uh, internet daters. We won't enter into a, a, some kind of relationship with another Christian or a ministry partnership until they tick every box on our long list of theological demands and convictions. It's okay to have a list, but make that list really small. Make sure that at the top of it is only primary things, the knowledge of Christ, the truth of Jesus. And make sure that the most important stuff outweighs everything else. Let the secondary stuff be secondary. It's not critically important, and so it doesn't have to be centrally important. And we can do more together on the things that are most important. And so why don't we work together in that? How about I pray? Father God, we want to thank you that we are your people drawn together by Christ. Thank you for the things that we can be can have a deep conviction on, the primary things that we believe, the message of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, the importance of your word. Lord, when we come to your word and we, we disagree with others on, on certain secondary things, help us to hold our convictions humbly, present them lovingly, and always remember what unites us, the primary things that we all hold together. And as we hold these things together, may we focus on them and see great things happen. Thank you, Lord, that we can be part of knowing you and making you known. We ask that we might be focused on that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much, City on the Hill, Melbourne West. You have a fantastic week. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au dot com dot au.